0: SquizBlains. your shortcut to more than the headlines. Squizplanes Jobs is brought to you by the Commonwealth Bank, a proud supporter of the Squiz and a bank committed to improving the financial well-being of customers and communities. Along with health and retail, one other topic area of interest for Squizzes seems to be around navigating the workplace and career tips. No surprise, given on average we spend nearly half our waking lives at work. One of the things that gets a fair bit of airplay in the news is the changing nature of work, what jobs may be replaced by automation, and what workplaces will look like in the future. We're gonna unpick that for you. Plus, a lot is changing in our current workplaces. We'll take a look at how to best manage that change and have a chat with Andrea Clark of Career CEO to get her
1: tips and tricks. Because if if we aren't relevant in our role or to our business, then I believe we're at risk. Ready? You're about to be splained.
0: I'm Claire Kimball. And I'm Kate Watson. Claire, let's start in the here and now. Broadly, what does the job market look like here in Australia? So you
2: would have heard that Australia's job market is particularly strong at the moment. Our unemployment rate is particularly low. In fact, the Reserve Bank considers us to be at um, zero uh, unemployment, which is an incredible feat and actually in the latest round of stats, they think that could go even even lower, um, which is quite an incredible achievement. And the key takeout there is that more people are in full-time and part-time employment than probably ever before.
0: So that kind of makes it seem like everyone trots off to work every day. But in fact, the participation rate, which is a measurement of all Australians over the age of 15 working or looking for work, is lower than people might expect. Yeah, so currently sixty percent
2: of women and seventy one percent of men work. And it really is just put your arms around everyone in that age group, how many are putting them putting themselves forward to work, whether they are actually in jobs or whether they're looking for work.
0: Claire is explaining that because I had a little bit of trouble wrapping my head around (laughs) the participation (laughs) rate. We got
2: there. We're back at year eleven, year twelve economics, and um,
0: yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Which I
2: dropped. Great <laughs> memories of of, of that. So. So
0: that's forty percent of women and twenty nine percent of men who don't work. What about unemployment? So when you look then at um,
2: young people, age fifteen to twenty four, youth unemployment is something that always gets a lot of scrutiny, particularly as we're heading towards an election. Um, that unemployment rate, of course, is usually about double what it is for anyone over the age of twenty. For You might remember when you were coming out of university and looking at work, I know it certainly took me a little bit of time to get it all worked out and it was a bit bumpy. But, yeah, it's uh, something that particularly when you put your social life first, it, uh, jobs and full-time employment takes a bit of a
0: backseat sometimes. Yeah, very true. So of the 10.5 million or so of us who do work either full or part time, how are we bringing home the bacon? Let's do the top five, starting with the fifth largest employment sector. It's education and training. So education and training, that sector takes
2: up 8.2% of the workforce. That's because more of us are staying at school longer. We're going into higher education, whether that's university or vocational training.
0: So there's more jobs in that sector to keep us more educated. Number four is professional, scientific and technical services to to massively generalise. That's all of you in a suit and tie or ballet flats and a pencil skirt. Yeah, or a um scientific white lab
2: coat. So yeah. yeah, yeah. They're the those with um, the Bunsen burner. Yeah, the smart people, <laughs> the really smart <laughs> sciencey types that um, yeah that I really struggle to keep up with. So yes, they're the ones who are heading off uh, to work in those more trained uh, professional fields that require some technical now and those sort of jobs employ 8.3 percent of us.
0: Number three is our hard hat wearing mates again generalisation, but we'll go with it. Construction. Yeah. <laughs> That's
2: right. And that is why, um, because that sector employs 9.4% of us, uh, there's a lot of scrutiny on the home and industry construction sector when it comes to employment, because it's such an important measure of our economy.
0: Coming in second is a good pointer to our previous splains on retail. It's a massive employer in this country. Yeah,
2: 10.4% of us are employed in retail and that's because Australia's 140,000 plus retail businesses need staff.
0: And the number one employer in Australia is healthcare and social assistance.
2: Yeah, 13.4% of us are employed in that sector. It's number one by quite a bit, isn't it? It is. And we're talking about nursing, aged care, all things medical, community care, social workers, all of that sort of thing. And it's quite a significantly growing sector and will grow into the future.
0: One also to mention is number six, manufacturing. It's actually in decline. And this is because automation and technology are creeping in to do tasks that were done by people. We'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. And also, it's a byproduct of a global economy, which has seen many Aussie businesses shut. And one great example is car industry, of course. So, Claire, given an average Australian man can expect to spend half of their waking lives at a paying job and an average Aussie woman about 40%, whether or not we like our work is an important question. The most recent HILDA report, and that's your Household Income Labor Dynamics Report, and another acronym to add to your collection, (laughs) says we're doing okay. We don't hate work, as much as you might think. Yes, when it comes to
2: uh, our happiness at work, it's a very important factor in our health overall. And when you look at that recent study, Eighty-two percent of us actually say that we're satisfied or very satisfied with our work situation overall. The thing that we're most happy about is job security. Seventy-eight percent of us are satisfied or very satisfied with that. And Kate, um, those people mustn't work at a startup like we do.
0: <laughs> Claire and I write notes to pull this podcast together, and we've got a little. Uh, I've got a bracket here. They mustn't work at a startup. <laughs> <laughs> And look, just to clarify, we're happy. We're just not really that happy with our job security. But
2: anyway. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm speaking for both of us there. Uh, <laughs> and um, the thing that we're most unhappy about is uh, payment, remuneration and our working hours. But even on that score, it has to be said more people were happy than unhappy. So that's a pretty incredible thing, really.
0: Who are the happiest workers?
2: They're the people aged over 74 years, and generally that's because they're working because they just love it, which is quite an incredible
0: concept, really. Living the dream whilst changes in technology have always been part of the evolution of work now is the time of AI or artificial intelligence, robots and automation uh, with a lot of talk about how the workforce is changing this is all part of what the World Economic Forum describes as the fourth industrial revolution. This year they released a futures of jobs report which basically says there is plenty of change coming some jobs are likely to be made redundant but there'll be plenty of new ones if we're prepared. What are the new jobs? So the new jobs are in things like
2: big tech, big data, using cloud infrastructure, all of those sorts of things that you would think about when uh, you're thinking about how businesses are going to change. So particularly the big ones already are transforming their operations to get the benefit of those sorts of things. When you think about the uptake of humanoid robotics, um, and that's probably what we most think about is, you know, like some weird sort of futuristic movie of these robots moving around like they're actually people. Um, mm. That's a fair way off uh, in all sorts of fields, but it doesn't mean that businesses aren't planning for the adoption of that sort of technology. So, keep in mind, you know, more automation and robotic technology is already in play, but uh, it's something that businesses are, are
0: really planning for for the future. So, what you're saying is that the way we work and the jobs that we have will change, but there won't be less jobs available. What are those jobs that humans are only able to do? What are the stayers, the things that can't be done by robots? Roles
2: that are currently here that are only going to grow, we're talking about things that really require a human touch and they're in fields like caring. So, again, back to that sort of health and uh, social care kind of roles, Uh, anything that requires instincts and nuance like food. Uh, We're talking about sales as well. Of course, selling is is actually quite Mm. a one-on-one human kind of exchange, uh, customer service workers, really anything that requires that human touch.
0: So I guess people might be listening to this thinking, okay, my job is X. Do I need to think about reskilling to keep up with the changing workforce? Well,
2: pretty much all of us need to do that on an ongoing basis, no matter what our jobs these days. But the World Economic Forum uh, report that we've just been talking about says that 49% of Australian workers probably won't need to do any reskilling. And that really comes back to the number that they say that half of Australian jobs probably won't be impacted that much by the change in technology and the uptake of these things that we're talking about. But of those that do need to learn a few new tricks, 24% will take less than three months to retrain. Uh, About 18% will need to take between three to 12 months. And for 10% of workers, they'll need more than a year's training to get into the workforce again.
0: So, for the fifty percent of us that do need to reskill, what are those new skills that we're going to need? So really
2: interestingly, of course, there's that hard end, pointy end stem kind of kind of job, so science, technology, engineering, and maths kind of training. but Really, uh, the thing that kept coming up over and over in all of the reading is that the people who are talking about being well positioned for the workforce of the future, it's having those kind of analytical thinking skills, uh, problem solving skills, flexibility, resilience, um, creativity, initiative, basically all those sorts of things that robots and um, algorithms and you know data clouds can't do, they're really do. things that humans are very good at and, and really can't be replaced for.
0: Andrea Clark is the founder of Career CEO. She's a former journalist who has worked in both Australia and Washington DC before taking the leap to start her own business. Career CEO has worked with some of the largest organisations in Australia, including QBE, Macquarie Bank and Bunnings to help employees master communication skills and enhance pro- career progression. What you are about to hear from her is some very practical advice on how to stay relevant in the workplace. Andrea, thanks so much for joining us. We've just given Squizzes an overview of the future of work. Is the job relevancy and
1: reskilling something that comes up often when you're training? Absolutely, it comes up every single day and uh, mostly because I bring it up <laughs> because if if we aren't relevant in our role or to our business, then I believe we're at risk. So staying relevant in the future of work means not just showing up, it means keeping up. And the purpose of Career CEO is to help people stay relevant by exploring these three questions. So, number one, confidence. What are you doing to build confidence in yourself to further your career? Number two, communication. Is your personal brand current and how do you communicate that value? And number three, career progression. Are your skills up to date and if not, what do we need to start learning? There are two major research reports very recently published that clearly show women will be disproportionately displaced by the first two waves of automation. So investing in ourselves and our skills to stay relevant is absolutely non-negotiable. I know I sound really serious, but um, this is really serious. But also, and also there are there is so much opportunity in this for all of us to really figure out what we want to be doing and design our own life around that.
2: I love your message there, Andrea, really about taking responsibility for your own career and making sure that you've got the skills so that you've got a place in in the jobs market, wherever that might be. Is that something that's
1: difficult to get people's heads around? It's certainly difficult because we're all so overwhelmed in managing the day-to-day chaos that we're faced with You know between monday and friday but my message is really clear to everyone if you're not relevant you are at risk and a big part of this is asking people to to really let go of what other people think of them you know you've got to be you've got to be on purpose you can't be attached to status. You can't be attached to living beyond your means because that's going to mean less options for you.
2: And, you know, I'm, I guess it's interesting because exactly the same as what you're saying when you take that jump, it's, you know, people, no doubt you've had the conversation with people too saying you're very brave to do what, what you've done. But uh, for me, it was just a, there was no option really. You just had to, you know, when the impetus to do it was more than not doing it, you just sort of jump. But and, and I'm really staggered, I think, by the number of friends that I have who are in their 40s mm. who really don't know what to do with their careers and
1: what the next step is. It doesn't seem to get any easier with age. No, I totally agree. And I made a massive leap when I was 35 and, you know, had anyone told me that coming back to Australia after almost a decade living in Washington, D.C., was going to be as hard as it was, I may not have even come back. I mean, you know, it was an excruciating uh, and disruptive change, but one that I was absolutely compelled to make, because as you just mentioned, when the impetus is so strong to follow your purpose, nothing else really matters. And you will cope with anything that comes your way through that particular process because you know that ultimately if you truly back yourself, you know that that the payoff is going to be there. Uh, but it's not going to be easy. That's the reality of it. And I don't think it matters whether you're 25, 35 or 45. Mm. It's going to be – there are going to be some hard yards there. This probably is a really philosophical question, but
2: how mm. do people find that purpose, do you think? Oh, we're getting deep. It <laughs> I is. Love it. This is so it's good. hard. <laughs> it's really, I just have, but it's weird because I have these mates who are in these, have mm. had terrific careers. Uh, mm. But when you say, what do you really want to do? They just don't know.
1: I think you've got to, li- I think you've got to listen to yourself and you've got to get real and you can't listen to anyone else. I can't tell you how many people um, I've ignored in the process of my career transitions and um, lots of people without you know, without necessarily my best interest at heart. So this is why we need to have a three-dimensional network because our first and second dimension in our networks are often close family and friends, people that have known us forever, but it's people on the periphery of your network that are going to be the ones that force you to innovate and force ideas to ignite within you, and that's where the real change lies.
0: Andrea, just to move on to the workplace now, you obviously train a lot of people on improving their performance at work. What are the things that we can all do to be more
1: effective in the workplace? Okay, so the first one is play the outside game every day. Uh, we all get caught up in playing the inside game and what I mean by that is you know internal politics, all of those things that really sometimes account for 70% of our day. But yeah, the office gossip. Oh, uh, it's, you know... You know, it it has a place, but we need to keep our eye on the audience. We need to keep looking outside the building. What's going on with our customers? What's going on with our members? You know, sometimes when I run workshops at, at very big businesses, I'll start by asking, hey, did anyone see the front page of the financial review or... Did anyone see that tech breakthrough that's essentially going to change the course of your entire business? And usually there's silence. And this is what really concerns me. We've got to look outside the building every day because that's going to help us stay relevant. And it's also going to help our business stay relevant. So don't you want to be that person in the lift with the CEO saying, Hey, did you see that? Did you see that robotics, um, you know, development? in that lab in in Massachusetts because that's going to have a huge impact for the way we run our supply chain. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. What's, you know, the reality of it's interpreting, you know, what's going on in the marketplace and making your business more relevant. And Andrea, that surely then plays into uh, to one of these really
2: interesting conversations, I think, particularly for women about then when you get into performance reviews and asking for raises, you do actually know wh- who you are and what you deliver and, and then also looking, as you say, outside of that organisation where you might have better
1: opportunities. Absolutely. I, um, you've just reminded me of working with a, a really brilliant young woman from a major bank. And when I asked her what she did, she gave me this, you know, um, very long convoluted spiel that was on her business card. You know, yeah. business unit, strategic development. And I was, like, I was like, stop. All the catchphrases. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm bored. All of, all of the <laughs> jargon that does not mean. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't help. It doesn't help you connect yeah. with someone. So. You know, and in, in ten seconds we turn that around to her job is to make her job is to generate a billion dollars worth of home loans for her bank every well, that's year. That's pretty impressive. Isn't that oh much better? Isn't that yeah. extraordinary? It's extraordinary. And this is what I'm saying. Often we don't connect the data. Mm into our purpose. So when we're explaining what we do and when we're talking to people for the first time, it's about building interest. It's not about losing Mm. interest. So this is what I'm talking about. Know your value, know your numbers. You've got to know your numbers because that'll keep you current. And it's so incredibly empowering to know when you walk into a performance review, you've just bankrolled a billion dollars Mm. worth of loans and you've just grown your team from six to 50 people in three months. That's Mm. powerful.
2: Yeah I I remember about 3 years ago must have been over the Christmas new year period reading an article I think it was from the telegraph in the UK um saying that you know you should stop apologizing when you're um talking to people particularly in email like literally just stop using the word sorry uh and see how that goes and I came back to work in the new year and and did just that. And I found that it really changed when I look back on it. I was in any email to a senior person saying, you know, I'm really sorry to disturb you, but, uh, and
1: once I stopped doing it, it actually changed all of the conversations I had with people. It's such a great point, Claire. Uh, Women unconsciously undermine their authority in three ways, and that is by their vocal patterns, their use of language, and their body language. So as you've just mentioned, our use of language is everything. So when we use self-diminishing qualifiers or tentative statements, so as your example, or things like, look, it's only my opinion, or you might disagree. When we go into a conversation, pre- putting ourselves down before we even get into the content, we're sending a signal to our audience, regardless of how small or big that audience is. And that signal is, look, I'm not important, but I'm going to keep talking anyway. So we have to be very mindful of, of our use of language and also whether we're pitching up when we're speaking or whether we're doing really simple things like tw- like twining our legs when we're in front of an audience or tilting our head because all of these things are very subtle but they stack up really quickly and that they're interpreted, by you know, by the audience in very clear ways. So, you know, you can walk in and claim your space or you can walk in and essentially – you know, undermine your authority without even saying a word. So these are things we have to be very mindful of in all of our communication platforms, so in email as well as face-to-face.
0: Andrea, thank you so much for joining us. That has given us some really practical tips to take to the workplace. Certainly got me thinking. Uh, if people want to know more about you and your business, jump onto careerceo.com.au. That's a one. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you for listening to Squiz Plains Jobs. Squiz Plains Health and Squiz Plains Retail are both available on our website or your preferred podcast platform. Just search for The Squiz and you'll find it. Our daily podcast is released at 6am each day and we'll get you quickly across the news. Don't forget, if you love The Squeeze, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it and sign up for our daily news email at thesquizz.com.au to make sure you're across when our next Squiz Plains will be released. Squeeze Planes, your shortcut to more than the headlines. A message now from our podcast partner, Hubble. You know what it's like. Your friend recommends a great film or TV show and you're excited to check it out. But suddenly realise you can't remember what she said it was. That's where Hubble, spelt H-U-B-B-L, comes in. It brings your streaming apps and free-to-air TV together into a single experience. You can easily search for your favourite content and keep track of what you want to continue watching. You can also watch free-to-air TV with or without an aerial using the integrated TV guide so you always know what's on and where. It's TV and streaming made easy. Go to hubble.com.au to find out more.